Good morning, everybody. Again, um, today we're going to be in the book of Philippians as well, chapter 4 instead of chapter 3 like our, our, our verse earlier today. Um, so you can ask my wife. Uh, I, I go on uh, rants about things quite often. Um, I see something on social media. Somebody says something to me. Maddie tells me something that somebody said somewhere else, right? And I, and I just go on these... 20, 30 minute plus long rants about it. And um, this was a rant that I did um, recently, but not like in the past week or two. Um, so like within the past month or so about um, our attitudes, especially as believers. Because quite frankly, uh, an unbeliever, I don't expect them to act like a believer, right? Oftentimes in this world, we're like, this world is dark, it's hard, it's evil, that sort of thing, right? And so oftentimes believers are like, well, why are people rude? Because they're not believers. Never expect a believer to act like they are one. They don't have the ability to. The only reason you or I could be anything reasonable is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Right? So whenever you see the world doing something that you're like, oh, what is that? Just It's what's going to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. You can't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. So, if you are an unbeliever in the room today, you're off the hook. But if you claim to be a Christian... We have a big problem on our hands because, quite frankly, believers in my life, a lot of people that I know that claim to be Christians, and I believe them, I'm not saying, oh, they claim it. I believe them have a worse attitude about things than unbelievers do. And how awful is that? We are called to have joy and stuff like that. So today, we're going to talk out of the book of Philippians, chapter 4 about a good attitude, and specifically your actions and your thoughts. Let's read it, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Before we even jump into this, I just want to point out that he mentions twice in this five-verse section that the God of peace will be with you if you do what is said here. So if you're somebody who's like, I just don't have peace in my life, perhaps you should take stock of what you are doing. Let's talk about it. Number one, on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, your actions. Your actions, right? Oftentimes, the correct action, not oftentimes, every time, the correct action with the wrong attitude about that action is still the wrong thing. Many of you in here are parents, um, or and perhaps grandparents and great-grandparents, right? Or you've been around kids, right? Aunts, uncles, all that kind of stuff, right? Most of us in here, if not all of us, have some close relationship to a child. And oftentimes, when you ask a child to do something, they might do it, but they go, oh, fine, go take out the garbage, oh, fine. In our house, when I was growing up, obedience with a bad attitude was still disobedience. It was still disobedience. You see, 
you have choices in your actions. He starts off in verse 4 by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, and just in case you missed it, I'll say it again, rejoice. Whenever you're reading scripture, most things, but especially scripture, if it says something multiple times, it's because you're supposed to get it. You're supposed to keep, it's, it's important. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many of you in here, raise your hands, would say, yeah, I'm a rejoicer, not a complainer? All right, good. That's about the right number. Very few. Because the fact of the matter is that none of us really like to rejoice. We like to complain about the bad thing. It's not easy to rejoice in the bad things. It is not easy to rejoice when you take out a wall because you think that it's not load-bearing and you get about two feet in and that ceiling collapses about a quarter of an inch and you go, oh, that's a load-bearing wall. That's not easy to rejoice in. It's not easy to rejoice when you go to wash your laundry and you turn your washer on and you walk away and you come back ten minutes later and there's just water everywhere. That's not easy to rejoice in. It's not easy to rejoice when you walk into your work and your boss says, sorry, the economy stinks, we have to downsize and we have to let you go. That is not easy to rejoice in. I'm not saying that it's easy to rejoice. It's hard to. You're just commanded to do it. And here's the thing. The fact that it's command tells us this is true of all of Scripture. If you're ever reading Scripture, Bible study tool, if you're reading Scripture and it's command, that means you have a choice in it. You have the choice to do it or not to. That's why I will stand up here sometimes and tell you love is a choice. Liking's not. You're commanded to love, which means you have the choice not to. You're not commanded to like people. I'm sure all of us have people we would rather not talk to. That's okay. You're not commanded to like them. You are commanded to love them. And you are commanded to rejoice, which means you have a choice to do it or not to. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you to rejoice that the washing machine is broken. Right? I'm not saying you should get on your knees and praise God that the washer finally crapped out on you. No. God is worthy of being, re of being praised and rejoiced without anything ever going right on this earth. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you never have an excuse not to be rejoicing. Ever. About anything. Because the greatest thing that could ever happen to you in your life happened. And it doesn't go away. So you might say, Pastor Sam, in the midst of the hardships, the trials, the tribulations, how am I supposed to rejoice? Because you serve a risen Savior. That's why you rejoice. That's why you have the choice to. Because that is always there. Here's the thing. I didn't write this down, um, but I probably should have. So you can write it on, there, on your note sheets if you want to. You don't have to. But people are watching you. They're watching you. In case you are, uh, don't believe me, last Saturday, we were, we were working in the kids' wing. Not, not yesterday. We were yesterday as well. But I mean like a week ago, a week, and a, a week and a day ago. We were working in the kids' wing. And I picked up a door, and the door closed on my fingers. And I went, yow, dang it. Dang. I just saw three kids go, what? Dang. I said, dang. And I was very careful about that. I was near, I was on this side of the room. Jax was outside and came in and went, what, are you okay? He heard me. He was outside the building and he heard me. He wasn't right next to me. People from kids 
through adults. If they know you are a Christian, they are watching you and listening. Because you claim to have something so much better than what they have, and yet you complain so much more than they do. Why would they want what you've got when you're just a downtrodden complainer? I'm sorry. But when you are rejoicing in the midst of trials and tribulations, that's when they go, ooh, they have something. The other thing he says to do with your actions is be prayerful instead of anxious. Right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, this is verse 6, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's important, let your requests be made known to God. Church, there are things in this life that make you anxious. The washer went. It's going to make you anxious. How are we going to clean our clothes? i got to get this cleaned up or I'm going to have mold. i got to get this out of here. All that kind of stuff. Maybe it's just as simple as you don't have to replace the washer. You have to replace a washer. The little circular rubber thing. And it'll be fixed. It's amazing usually how simple some things are to fix. Sometimes they're not. I'm not claiming that they always, claiming that they always are. But I know a lot of people, including myself, I'm an anxious person. I, I worry about things. I don't worry about things I can't control for the most part. I don't. I don't worry about, quite frankly, this might sound awful, I don't worry about what's happening in the Ukraine. It doesn't affect me in the slightest. Now, I pray for them. I pray that God ends that war because there are innocent people on both sides of the conflict dying daily. But I don't worry about it. I worry about other things. I worry about... Um, I worry about getting the kid's wing done so that mom can have her rooms back because I have a direct hand in that. I worry oftentimes about, I, I worry about, I live on Main Street and Christine, who was here a couple of weeks ago, talked about this. We have a ton of youth in Susquehanna County that are drug addicts and stuff like that. And I worry about somebody breaking down my door and accosting me and my wife at two in the morning because they're high off their kite and need money to go get another fix. I worry about that stuff. That's why I lock my door. But the fact of the matter is, I, you might call this a worry. I call it being practical. As I was being raised, there was one major rule about doorways and such in our house. You never, under any circumstances, block an exit from the building. Because God forbid there's a fire, and now you can't get out because you just didn't want to carry that box an extra two feet. Or you didn't want to keep your floor clean enough. So you can ask my wife, how many exits from our building, from our house, are blocked? Zero. Not a single one. And there is a pathway to every single door in my house, our house. You might call that worrying. I call it practical. But the fact of the matter is, I'm a worrier too. I get anxious. The Bible said... The Bible doesn't just say, don't be anxious, though. Because if God was just like, hey, don't be anxious, that's like telling me, my dad coming in and saying, hey, I want you to redo the electric in the kid's wing and just leaving. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the capabilities of doing that. You and I do not have the capabilities of not being anxious. If we just said, don't be anxious. But he says the cure to anxiety in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, bring it to God. Bring it to God. Every time I pray, I start by thanking him for something. Sometimes I can't think of something, so I just thank him for who he is. 
Because sometimes in life you're gonna have you're gonna have a moment where you're like, I don't have really anything to be thankful for. It's the same thing we talked about with rejoicing. He's big enough and good enough and amazing enough. You know, he's God, that's enough. When you are anxious and 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 such, you gotta start praying. Start talking to the one who can fix things, who is in control of things, because you and I are not. And I mentioned it already, but I'll mention it again. When you are a person who rejoices in the midst of trials and tribulation, who brings your requests to God with the right attitude of thanksgiving and rejoicing, he says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You feel like you're under attack in your, in your, in your heart or your mind? Well, you're probably not acting correctly. Satan can still attack there. I'm not saying that it'll stop it. But man, it's like an impenetrable wall when you are acting correctly. Our actions speak volumes about who is in our lives and who is in our hearts. Number two, on your note sheets, number two, your thoughts, your thoughts. How many of you would say you're in control of your thoughts? That's good. Now we're, 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 we're good. Last week, I had a couple of liars in here when I asked some questions, so no, that's okay. Not liars, misunderstood. Don't worry, I put them back in their place now. Your mind is the most powerful thing in your body because you can't access your spirit. Your spirit, I was talking to a, a, a Bob Lashaw yes, or on Friday. We were talking about the soul, spirit, and stuff like that. That's what makes you you. It is not this body, right? What makes me me is not five foot six, 220 pound diabetic Sam. What makes me me is my soul slash spirit. Choose whatever term you'd like to. That's what makes me me. That's what makes you you. You can't really access that. So outside of that, the most powerful thing in your body is this. It's your mind. It will control almost everything you do. Did you know? Now, to put aside if you've got like a stomach bug or, the, or, or, or food poisoning, something like that, right? Where your body must eject it out of you, okay? However... If you're feeling nauseous and you tell yourself, oh man, I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be sick, the odds are you're going to get sick. However, the opposite is also true. If you're feeling nauseous and you're like, nope, I'm not puking right now, I'm not doing it, the odds are you won't because your mind has power over the rest of your body. It works with other sicknesses too. Now, I'm not standing up here and saying, if you have a strong mind, you'll never get sick. Not at all. Germs exist, right? But your mind is powerful. You don't sleep well, most likely your mind is racing too much. You haven't shut it down. Stuff like that. Your mind is incredibly powerful. And therefore, it is vital what you put in it. If you own a diesel engine of some kind, right, truck, whatever, and you put regular in it, does that engine work anymore? Not very well. It might start, but then it just dies. It's not going to work. Your mind is an engine. What are you putting into it? What gas are you putting into it? Let's talk about it. He starts off by saying, finally, brethren, whatever is true, I want to stop there, whatever is true, because we live in a world that is full of falsehoods. You look anywhere, it's full of falsehoods, including stuff that's not necessarily bad. What do I mean by that? Church, you will never be Batman. It won't happen. 
Batman is a falsehood. It's not a bad one, right? Because we know it's fake. I'm not telling you you shouldn't go see the Batman movie. I mean, maybe some of us shouldn't, right? Depending on age and stuff like that and the ratings and whatever. But stuff like that, that's not necessarily bad because you know it's fake. You know it's fake. It's called imagination, right? And stuff like that. Imagination's not bad at all. In fact, imagination can be incredible. However, this world is full of outright lies. Outright lies that are presented as truth. I'm not going to get too far into them because I don't want to offend too many people, but there are political lies, there are religious lies, there are health lies. Do you know one of the worst diets you can do is a keto diet? It's horrible for your body. Absolutely horrible. You will lose some weight, but it's terrible for your body. A day here, a day there, that's not bad. But to live a keto diet is awful for your body. And yet, about a year ago, two years ago, it was, all the, it was the biggest craze. You'll lose all this weight. It's terrible for your body. Most diets are. You know what the best thing, the best diet is? Do you know what it is? And it's a legitimate one. Do you know what the best diet is? Mediterranean. You eat a Mediterranean diet, that is, and I, listen, here's the thing. I mean literally Mediterranean. Because any Mediterranean stuff you get in America, it's not real stuff. That's why they're so much healthier than us. Their diet is literally the best one you can eat. It's almost as if God made it. That, we won't get into that. You know what's also a really good diet? To eat kosher. Pigs, one of the worst things you can eat. Let's go get bacon. Pig's awful for you. It tastes good. Whatever. The fact of the matter is, this world is full of lies. We all know them, right? I can give you some lies that I don't think that will offend too many people. You are the way you are. People must accept you that way. No, I don't have to accept you. I don't. I have to accept who Christ is. A rant I had yesterday with my wife. And I feel bad for her because she didn't mean it this way, but I jumped on it. She said... You know, we're too afraid to face our demons. And I went, show me the place in scripture it says to face your demons. I'm pretty sure it says to put them down and walk away. Put them at the foot of the cross and leave them there. Yet we live in a world that says we must unpack everything and work down through it and figure it all out. I don't care who you are. I care who Christ is. And I'm never called to be the best version of me. I'm called to be Christ-like. And so are you. And the best version of me doesn't hold a candle to Christ. So I got to put that idea aside and start chasing after him. That's the fact of the matter. We live in a world that says, whatever makes you happy, show me in scripture where you are called to be happy. You never are. You're called to be joyful. And happiness is not wrong. I was ecstatic for roughly three and a half quarters in late February. And then a referee whose brother-in-law bet on the Chiefs called a penalty and handed the Chiefs the win. I was so mad. I was so happy for three and a half quarters. I was so happy for about two games last year in late October. And then the Astros happened. I was so happy. And then I wasn't anymore. Happiness is fleeting. I will be very happy tonight. I'll tell you right now. I will be going up to Arby's tonight. And I will get into the drive through line. And when they ask me what I want, I will say, I would like a euro, please. 
because Arby's makes a very good fast food. That's got a, that's a disclaimer on there. Fast food gyro. Gyro, hero, however you want to say it. And I've been craving one for like four or five days now. And I already told Maddie we're going up there because she's got we got to put gas in her car anyway. It's going to be great. I can't wait. That's dinner tonight. I'm excited. I will be happy then. Right? Happiness is fleeting, though. It's based on circumstance, situation. You're called to be joyful. This world wants you to be happy. This world tells me I have to accept everyone's lifestyle and stuff like that. No, I don't. I have to love you. I have to love you. I do not have to accept or condone. This world is full of falsehoods and lies, and I'm sure there are, I'm not sure, I know there are plenty more that we could talk about here this morning, but in the interest of time and not boring you, I'll keep going. You must stand on the truth. And there's only one place to find real truth, and it's the Bible. That's it. Listen, you're not going to find 2 plus 2 equals 4 in the Bible. I'm talking about real truth. It's right there. That's it. You have to know what this thing says so that when the falsehoods and deceptions come, you can go, no, time out. I know what this says. And that's it. Casting crowns, one of my favorite lines in every, any song that Mark Hall has ever written is an American dream when he says, I'll take a shack on the rock over a castle in the sand. That's knowing truth versus falsehood. He then goes on, it's whatever's honorable, pure, and lovely. They write these good things. Think on those things. Last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, which is not uncommon. But I woke up because what also is not uncommon is I tend to have, um, I have a lot of nightmares. And I woke up right in the middle of one. And as I started to fall back asleep, I could feel it coming back on. And I went, no, 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 no. I'm not dealing with that tonight. And I asked God to start to give me something else to think of. And you know what I started doing in my head? I started preaching. And I went, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? But apparently my fallback option, and just naturally what I do is yell at people. So there you go. i got to think on whatever is pure and honorable and lovely. And then he ends it with whatever is, of, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, there is one thing worthy of praise in this world. One thing, and it is God. That's it. There are a lot of very good things in this world. There is one thing worthy of praise and honor. There's one thing pure, there's one thing lovely. That whole verse is essentially, hey, why don't you focus on God? Why don't you focus on Jesus? Fix your thoughts on him, on what he did, on who he is. I'm not saying you don't have to, you can't, you have to put everything aside and only think about him, right? I'm thinking about, my, my buddy Drucker messaged me yesterday and said, who do you want the Sixers to hire as their next coach? I thought about it. Right? As I was sitting there watching the Phillies beat down the Cubs yesterday, I went, why can't they do this more often? You could think about other things. I think about stuff all the time. My poor wife has to hear about it because I'm no longer close enough with Drucker, like in terms of proximity. He can't listen to me anymore, so now she has to. I'm not saying you can only think about God. I am saying, though, that that should be your primary thing. Are you focusing on him? Where does your mind go? When you turn off and your mind sets adrift, where does it go to? Where does it go? 
you won't have a good attitude in this life unless you are focusing on him because, like I said, there's falsehoods. There are trials. There are tribulations. There are hardships. And unless your mind is focused on him, you will not have a good attitude. You won't. It's impossible to. Let's apply this to our lives, shall we? Maddie, will you run and tell the toddler room? Thank you. I want to encourage you. I've really got two practical things here, even though I only wrote it as one. But get yourself a little, a little notebook and a pen, pencil, right? Something like that. And over the next, I would say do it for a week straight because you'll get a good idea then. But over the next day or two, if you can't, you know, you can't do a full week, that's all right. Keep a running stock of your generalized. I don't mean you need to go, I thought about what I'm going to have for dinner. I thought about this. I thought about that. A general idea of your thoughts and actions over the next couple of days. That will show you who you are. You cannot do it for just one day because you'll trick yourself. You'll be really good that day and you'll trick yourself. And you go, wow, look at me. I'm actually pretty good. No, it's got to be for an extended period of time because that will show you who you are and where your thought process is. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, all of you should have a horrible one. Not necessarily. I'm not saying that. I'm going to say that probably you're right down the middle. You're going to have a lot of good moments. You're going to have a lot of bad ones. But that allows you to take stock of where you're at. The other thing I would tell you to do, and I didn't write this one down. If you're close with somebody, and hopefully you are, and a couple of people, ask them, how do they view you? This is a very similar question. I've told you to ask people before um, about how, well, like, words to describe you. I'm not asking for that. How do they view you? If I said, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll pick on Maddie again because she's here and she's my wife. How do I view her? She is generally kind-hearted, slow to anger, very trusting sort of person. She gets annoyed very easily. Not angry, but annoyed very easily, especially with me. She has a focus oftentimes on God, which is good. She tends to procrastinate. That's not good, right? She's got good qualities and bad qualities. I personally think she's got far more good than bad. I wouldn't have married her if I didn't think that. That'd be kind of dumb. But, so I'm not, I'm not saying like, what are the three best words that describe you? I'm saying, how do they view you as a person? Do they view you as a complainer or as somebody who rejoices? Do they view you as somebody who uplifts and is, uh, do they, does, do people think you talk about God too much? Right? Stuff like that. Don't lead the witness. Maddie, do you think that I'm a dirty, rotten, horrible person or am I okay? Don't lead the witness. Right? And then here's your other practical one, your actual practical one that, that I wrote down as practical, even though that's all practical. Memorize verse 8. Throw in verse 9 while you're at it, because that also talks about the peace of God. Because here's the thing, the best way to condition your mind is with this book and what it says. I'm not telling you to memorize the whole book of Philippians, the whole chapter even. Not even this whole passage. One or two verses, that's it. Have them so deeply ingrained in there that when, when, and I don't, I don't mean if, I mean when, your mind starts going bad on you. You can just whip it out, that scripture, without even having to think about it. You can just go, no, 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 no. Scripture tells me to do this. 
we want to be a, a church, a, a group of people, of believers that wants to reach our world. I know we do because I know everyone's sitting in this room right now. And we've worked diligently for years before even I was here, right? I'm not, I'm not even just saying, oh, the past five years. No, no, I mean even before that. To try to reach people. We, you have, we have. Your testimony is useless when you're a complainer. When your attitude's not in the right place. So you've got to have it in the right place with your actions and your thoughts. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together and worship you and praise you. I thank you that you, I thank you that you tell us how to have a good attitude in this world. Because quite frankly, I don't. Too often I am cynical. Too often I am um, downtrodden. Too often I am just, I'm not in the right headspace, as we would say. I thank you that you show us the way to peace. You show us the way to the right attitude with our actions and with our thoughts. I pray, Father, that you would help us first with our thoughts because out of our minds and out of our hearts flows our actions. So I pray you would help us to control them first, to fill them with you, with what is good and honorable and pure and lovely and worthy of praise and true. I pray you would give us all a, a, a blessed week. I thank you that we can come together and worship you. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.